Life on Mission has begun. Devin kind of kicked things off last week. But I want to tell you guys, it's not too late to get a book. Um, uh, we're on week two, and that's actually this kind of the, the first action step, and that's connect. Um, during the week, there are um, uh, some uh, Bible readings that you can take part in. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll start week, or sorry, day one of week two, so turn to, to week two in that book. And, and I encourage you guys, if you're not in the, in, the, in the Bible on a daily basis, to get that way. To commit yourselves over this next 40 days to, to digging into the Word just even just a little bit. Also, life groups, they've started. I mean, uh, the, the Life on Mission life groups. However, it is not too late to jump in. I mean, th- there are a lot of life group leaders in here. What you need to do, really easy, crestviewchristian.org, that, that, that first banner, click on it. We, we have a list of, of groups that are meeting all across Manhattan, some in St. George, some in Wamigo. They would love to have you involved. And, and it, what, what you do, find them, find some people that look nice enough, click on their, their face, send them a quick email saying, hey, I'm interested, and they'll follow up with you and, and get you involved. So, welcome back to Life on Mission. I mean, the, the, yeah, last uh, week, Devin kicked us off, and he kind of uh, had, you guys remember those pictures that he showed? It, Peter Drucker, he said uh, two questions about your organization that can kind of let you know if you're, if you're doing what you should be doing if you're healthy. He said, what business are you in, and how's business? I mean, he thinks, as an organization, you should have one goal, one job. I have some pictures uh, today I want to show you guys of somebody who had one job, but maybe didn't hit the, hit the mark quite as well as they could have been. You had one job. It's either third place or first place, right? Let's see the next one. Floats on water. You had one job, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't float. The next one, uh, you had one job, and that's to label what it is correctly. You know what? I've never seen a, uh, a watermelon that looks like that. And then lastly, you had one job, and nobody wants to waddle, yeah? Nobody. So friends, our one job is actually outlined as Christians and as Crestview, our one job was outlined by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You you may have heard it already, but it goes like this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus said to his disciples, this is the last thing out of his mouth when he, before he went up into heaven. He said, hey, you guys are to be witnesses. That's your one job. And you know what? The, 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 the saying stands even today. If he were here today, he'd say, hey, Crestview, you're to be my witnesses in Manhattan, in Kansas, Midwest, U.S., and the rest of the world. That's what he wants from us. That, he made it very, very clear that we're supposed to be in the witness business. At, at, at Crestview, very simply, we call it deploy. As part of our discipleship strategy, you, you, you've heard it before, you'll hear it again, discover, develop, deploy. We want people to come discover Christ and who he is in their life. And then you know what? We want to develop believers into disciples. And then lastly, we want to de- de- deploy disciples to impact the rest of the world. And what that impact is, that's witnessing. That's what we should all be all about. So how's business? Um, Devin kind of gave a glimpse of what that's like this last week. But if you missed it, he kind of uh, hinted at that as Christians, sometimes 
we have a tendency to want to hide or, or huddle, kind of get with other Christians. And you know what? I know for me, as a pastor, man, it is hard to get away from Christians, yeah? They seem like they're all over the place. You know what? I come to church, there's Christians. I have groups in my house, Christians. Even some of the coworkers that I work with, they're Christians. <laughs> or maybe all of them. And you know what? If we're not intentional, then we just start hanging out with people that are just like us. And you know what? Most Christians, that's a good thing, because most Christians are completely tolerable, Right? However, Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 5 to be salt and light. He says the world needs some seasoning. They need me in it. The world is dark and you're the light. You need to take the light into the darkness. You know what? A candle in a bright room like this doesn't do a whole lot. But if you take a candle into a place where it's dark, man, you'd be surprised how much light it can, it can cast out. If the church isn't diligent in being that salt and light, then we find ourselves in the predicament that kind of like we are now in America. The reality is United States is the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. I, when I read that for the first time, I was like, really? I, I, I thought we were supposed to be a, a, a Christian nation. And what I'm going to say next might surprise you even more. In, uh, in, in 2010, who would you guys guess is the, was the largest recipients of missionaries from other nations in the world? America, with over 32,000 sent in just that one year. The rest of the world sees it. We're a mission field. We need to see that as well. So we're in the witness business. How's business? There may be some reasons that uh, not just Crestview, but uh, the church in general might not be fully engaged in being a witness, being that salt and light. And uh, I, I think, for me, it was summed up in this letter. It was a letter written to Crestview just last Sunday after the, after the sermon and I'm just going to read it for you guys here today. The service really hit the bullseye today. I walk through K-State's campus from time to time, and I see people who not only don't believe, but fight God. It terrifies me to know that there are people actively trying to do this. I want to help them, but I'm weak. I want to be at the door and hold it open for so many others, but I'm barely holding on to the latch itself. Even though I've been baptized at Crestview and I have moments of doubt and they hurt, I'm afraid I, uh, that others will pull me away from the door of God's love and grace. Who would have thought it would have hurt this much to admit this? I am grateful, though. God has helped me through this incredible war. Going through college will test you like none other. I want to help others, but I'm weak. Not, I'm fine with approaching others, but... I have so many wavering moments myself, I'm not sure if I can say that I'm ready to deploy. I'm not even sure if I'll be ready to deploy in a long time. He wraps up by saying, thank you, Devin, Jared, and everyone at Crestview. P.S., if you could pray for my good friend Ryan to come and find God and accept him, that would be wonderful. I've been trying to find him, uh, help him find the door 
for the past several years, and his questions are incredibly difficult to find the answers to. Thanks. Now, who can relate to at least some part of what he wrote there? And you see your friends and family and some people around you, and you, you're like, I know where they're going, and I know where they need to go. And you just have a burden. Or maybe you're just like uncertain. You're like, I don't even know if I'm ready, spiritually ready to do this. I don't know how to answer the questions, even if they have any questions, I, I don't know what to do. Or maybe you're just unsure of how to start, how to start doing it. I love, I love the letter because it's just, it's brutally honest. But it's the reason that we're starting life on mission. At Crestview, this is so important that we become great at becoming a witness. Before we go any further, before we jump into God's word, I want to pray that, that God's word would, would impact our hearts and, and transform our minds. But not only that, I want, to, I want to pray for his friend, Ryan. Lord, uh, we're here for you today. Lord, uh, we, we want to receive from you what you have. Lord, I, I pray that your word um, would impact our hearts, would renew our minds, and change the way we do life. I don't want to stay knowledge, I want to act on it. And Lord, I also want to pray for, for Ryan. I know the, the Crestview member's heart is heavy for Ryan, and, and he's been thinking about him, and unsure. Lord, I pray that you continue to use our Crestview member to Im impact Ryan's life, and to show your love to him. And in your time, bring him to yourself. Amen. So action, action step number one, that's what we're talking about today, it's called connect. Connect, very, very simple. Jesus, most of his three years of ministry, everybody's like, yeah, he hung with the disciples a long time, a, 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 a lot of the time. Sure, however, he did more than just that. I mean, he hung out with all sorts of different people. Uh, Luke 15 one through two says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the, the, right there in that one verse, and you see it all along, he doesn't care who it is. He's gonna spend time with them. Not only did Jesus hang out with people others considered sinners, he was also known for getting personally and socially involved with them. I mean, like, you know what, like, not just like, Hey, my name's Jared, good to meet you. But no, he was going to their parties. He was, he was hanging out. He was getting uh, intimate with those people. And one of the people, the, the, the person we're gonna learn about today, what the people we're gonna hear about today, is Matthew. Go ahead and open your Bibles right now if you have them. If you don't have them, they're on the sides of the worship center here. Feel free to grab one. If you have your, uh, your phone or your, your iPad, go ahead and open up the Bible app. Open up to Matthew chapter nine. And we're gonna be reading through verse 9 through 13, when Jesus got to know a man named Matthew. Follow along with verse 9. It starts off saying, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So I'm going to pause really quick and just tell you a little about, bring up the speed about tax collectors you know, we have taxes in America today, and it's usually ran by the government to provide for things, and they have uh, fun ways of extracting uh, taxes from all of us. 
You know what? Our government were rookies compared to the way they did it back then. These people were professional tax collectors. They knew how to get every dime they could out of every person. And you know what? Tax collecting was big business. The Roman Empire at that time, uh, Israel and Palestine was one of their provinces. And what would happen is uh, a person would, would come, before, uh, the, come before the king and said, you know what? I'm going to pay you money for my ability to tax this region, to tax this uh, providence of the Roman Empire. And, and the highest bidder got, 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 the, uh, got the deal. It's kind of like private contracting taxing. And that person would then go to the locals and say, all right, who wants to make a lot of money here? And they'd get tax collectors from among the people. So the Jewish people, out of them, he'd pull tax collectors, and those tax collectors would set up booths and tax everything. They'd tax ports, bridges, uh, all sorts of food like wine and bread and fruit, all sorts of things. If you can think about it, they had a tax for it. All along the lines, it's kind of like a, a pyramid scheme a little bit. Uh, and you know what? The, the people at the bottom, they made a lot of money. People in the middle made a ton of money. And the person at the top, crazy amount of money because they were stealing from the people at the very bottom. And that's who Matthew was. He was a tax collector. And he was hated. I mean, he, he wasn't owned. I mean, he, he could, the Roman Empire didn't claim him. And his own people, the Jews, they wouldn't even claim him. Because he was a traitor, working for the, the, the oppressive government, trying to steal their money, and doing a great job of it, too. So when they came up to Matthew that day, that's who he was. Tax collectors were so bad that even sinners were like, you know what, I'm bad, but not as bad as that guy. Today, I, I want to introduce a, uh, a word to you that you may not have heard before, and give the definition for it. It's called gracism. Gracism. And, and it's this. The, the definition is, I deserve to be with the Father, but you don't. Do you know what? I, I'm good, or at least reasonably good person, but this guy, no way. I mean, I, I, I'm more deserving to be with the Father than, 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 uh, than he is. It's an I am better than you attitude. It's, you know what? Your sins are way worse than my sins. I'm sure that exists today, but back in Jesus' time, there was kind of an a unwritten list of gracism, like people who were considered the best and people who were considered the worst. It's the gracism ranking list. And at the very, very top of that, of that list were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. At the very, very top, they're like, you know what? We do everything. I mean, we read the Bible every day. We memorize it. We teach others how to do it. We follow all the rules. I mean, to the T. So, of course, they'd be at the top, for sure. Uh, moving down the list, an occupation that might be you know, close to the top and not exactly the very, very top. Uh, doctors and nurses. Because, you know, they have jobs that help people. And that's, that's good. That's, that's great stuff. And then there's kind of the normal jobs, everyday kind of jobs, like a fisherman or like a baker or a woodworker. You know, just kind of the, the normal blue-collar kind of jobs. They're, they're kind of the next down. And then you started getting into the kind of the shady kind of people, the, the prostitutes, the, the people that, you know, they, they made their living off of sin. And then like 
way, 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 way down at the bottom. I mean, I mean, everybody looked down to these people. That was the tax collectors. That was Matthew. And I'm sure, you know what, if there were like even a level beneath that, I could see that being like KU fans or something like that, yeah? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how, how, and I'm just, just kidding everybody. <laughs> Not real, not really. <laughs> anyway, so if you're a gracist, do you believe that the tax collector is the farthest person away from God? And Jesus went up to him and said, follow me. He said, follow me. And Matthew got up from his tax booth and followed him. Now, follow me, it wasn't exactly probably what the disciples thought Jesus was going to say. I'm sure part of them were like, you know what, I've seen Jesus unleashed on some of the Pharisees before. I mean, he was like, boom. I'm like, I can't wait to see Matthew get his. Yeah? I'm sure they thought when Jesus come up, Jesus was going to say, you sinner! Or uh, something like, you need to get on your knees right now and repent. Or, oh yeah, you're definitely going to the hot place. Yeah? But that wasn't the case. Jesus said, you know what? I know who you are. I can see it with my eyes. Come on. Come on, you, you and I, we can hang out. It is more than just hanging out. This was the same call that Peter and John and Luke all received when they were asked to become disciples of his. I'm sure that the disciples, I'm reading a little bit into the text, but I'm wondering if they didn't think something like, Jesus, yeah, you sure about this? Yeah? You know what? Bringing Luke on board, I'm all for that. He was a doctor. That kind of upped our street cred a little bit, yeah? But Matthew, no. You, evidently, you don't know this guy. I was just here last week, and he's just robbed me blind. I mean, he makes his living through Sinning. Jesus, you've gone too far this time, really. Really. We, we don't need a guy like that. Verse 10, follow along. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with his disciples. As they were hanging out, Matthew's like, I don't know. Jesus, you want to come to my house? Jesus was like, sure, let's do it. And while he was there, he's like, he had, Matthew had a party. And, and it's exactly the kind of party you would think. I mean, there wasn't like K-Love going on in the background. Yeah? And, and the, the alcohol was probably flowing. And the people he invited were the only friends he had. Other tax collectors. Other people that were hated. And Jesus was a part of it. And I have to believe that Jesus knew who was funding that party and that big house. It was money that was stolen from everybody else. But there's kind of a surprising thing that it comes back to me on occasion. People who are nothing like Jesus seem to really like Jesus. And Jesus liked people that were nothing like him. I'll say it one more time. People who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And Jesus liked them back. He has a heart 
and he was drawn to people who were unlike himself. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So Pharisees, they were the righteous ones. They were the ones at the very, very top. They were following all the rules, but they had no real relationship with God himself. And they were like, you know what? If Jesus is who he says he is, if he's the Messiah, he should want to hang out with us because we're the good ones. You know what? The Pharisees, they, they redefined gracism and they, they, they took it to the extreme. The Pharisees showed their true colors. As gracist, it's not the color about your, uh, of your skin, it's the color of your sin for them. You're good or bad based on the kind of sin that you're doing. However, Jesus knew their hearts and he spoke up. He said this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus stated that he came for people who didn't think that they were healthy, but people who knew they were in need of something special. Verse 13, Jesus kind of takes an opportunity to kind of take a jab at the, at, the, uh, at the Pharisees. And you know what? Something you'll find, Jesus never beat anybody over the head with the Bible except for people who beat other people over the head with the Bible. And those were the Pharisees. And he said, hey, go and learn what this means. And he quotes them something out of the Old Testament, something they probably had memorized since they were seven years old, something they weren't living he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't care about the rules. I want a relationship. Don't you get that? He said he's more interested in redemption and rescue than I am with people who think they have it all together. And I think this is really well summed up what Jesus is Heart is, in a saying from a, a missionary from the early 20th century, was a missionary to the people in China, and he says this. Someone want to live within a sound of a chapel bell, but I want to rent a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He says, you know what? Pharisees, you guys go over here and do your religious thing. That's great. But for me... I want to stand at the gates of hell, hold up my hand, and try to pull as many through as possible. That's what God wants. That's the heart of the Father right there. He said, I, you know what, I came to call sinners. I didn't call people to say, you know what, why don't you clean up first and then, and then come to church with me? Or, you know what, you, you stop living the way you're living and then I'll introduce Jesus to you. No, he's like, come, come on. Right now, I don't care that you're, you're still a tax collector. I want you to come right now. We need to do the same. We need to develop our heart for the lost around us by simply being around them, by simply connecting like Jesus did. If we open our eyes, we'll, we'll see that we live among them. A lot of them might be just in the house next door. We have a video, one minute, very simple, that talks about the impact that we can have 
if we are salt and light, if we're that witness in just our neighborhood. This is your house. These are your neighbor's houses. How many of these neighbors do you know by name? Go ahead, try to name them. If you're like most people these days, you probably only know a few of your neighbors by name. We have garages for our cars, privacy fences for our backyards, and we seem to be perpetually busy. You're doing pretty well if you wave or say hi as you're passing by. But what if we did more? What if we made it a point to learn the names of the people who live on our block? What if we took the time to listen to our neighbors and find out what makes them tick? What if our neighborhoods relied on each other in times of need, whether it be for a cup of flour or a shoulder to cry on? What if Jesus really meant that we should love our actual neighbors? Imagine the difference you could make in your neighborhood if you got to know your neighbors better. Imagine the difference you could make in your community if you partnered with others who had a desire to become better neighbors. Imagine the difference it could make in our cities if local churches were working together to make this a reality. As you walked in today, everybody received uh, one of these cards. Go ahead, go ahead and take it out right now. It says, you're in the middle right there, and everybody around you, that's your mission field. That's where you need to start. These people are around you all the time. You know what, even if you live out in the country, there's some people right down the road from you as well. I want to encourage everybody to take the time, fill that out, and maybe you'll find that, you know what, I, I know the, the Thompsons over here, I know Katie over there, but I don't have a clue right here. And that was the, that was the way it was for me about a year ago. Um, a year ago, I mean, we, we live close to the football stadium, park cars in our front yard on, on game day. And, and in our neighborhood, there's several rentals. So people are coming and going at a fairly good clip or whatever. But one family had been there for an entire year. It was kind of past the, uh, the friendly stage into the, like the completely awkward stage, yeah? And, and I didn't do anything about it. I, I really didn't uh, until my, my son and I, one morning before school, we were, we were reading uh, in Luke chapter 14. And at the end, I said, all right, Mace, what are we going to do differently because of what we read today? How is this going to impact our lives? He's like, well, Jesus was talking about this and this. And this. I'm like, no, no, no. Stop right there. What are we going to do differently? What are we going to do? He's like, dad, it's too early in the morning for this. <laughs> you know, spoken like a 16-year-old. I was like, no, let's, let's do something. He's like, what do you want us to do, dad? Invite strangers into our house? Because that's what Jesus was talking about for dinner. I was like, let's try it. He's like, this is not a good idea, Dad. <laughs> you, you don't know what you're going to do. I, mean, I was like, who don't we know? Yeah. A couple houses down, there's that one family. He's like, and he knew exactly what I was talking about. He's like, yeah, yeah. Let's not. I'm like, you know, we, we can. But we don't even know their names, Maze. How can we learn their names? We can at least start praying for them at the very least. I know, brownies, yeah? I make killer brownies. And I was like, let's make brownies for them. Take them over and say, hey, we're the Garens. And 
not have, a, you know, it, it wouldn't be weird if we, if we were bringing some sort of gift with us. And we're like, you know what? If they just saw us go to their house, we'd know it'd kind of be a little more weird. So we just made brownies for everybody. And we're like, here's some brownies, here's some brownies. But really, here's some brownies. And something expected happened. I mean, they invited us into, into their house. We spent a while. Each of us kind of learned one name and we got back together. We, we wrote them down quick. And you know what? Our relationship started from there. We've been over their house. They've been over ours. And we try to show each other love. But here's the deal. The cool thing, just on Wednesday, on the, on the, on the drive home, um, their oldest boy, who's, who's 16, and, and mine, Mason, they were both, both sitting in the back seat coming home from youth group. And they were talking about that, that, that one day where they met each other for the first time last year. And they, and they were like, wasn't like the most awkward thing in the world. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I thought I had nothing in common with you. That can happen on a regular basis. And it should happen more than it does. Put some time into this and pray for these people. If you choose to put it on your refrigerator, it stays in front of you. When they come over, take it off the refrigerator and put it in the drawer, yes? <laughs> yeah? Because here's the deal. You don't want them to walk in and they're like, hey, what's this? You're like, you know what? My pastor told me I need to meet all the heathens in our neighborhood. And congratulations, you're now my project. No, don't be weird. Don't do this. Or, or maybe you've been in your neighborhood for a little while. You're like, I don't have a lot of turnover like you do, Jared. And I know who they are. Maybe your next step is uh, having dinner in your house. No agenda. Hey, come eat our food. What can God do if you were to take the people in this room and impact these other eight homes? This, this changes communities. This can change a, nath- a nation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to make a difference in your world. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open. I pray that our hearts would be open to the people around us that are, that are just walking along, but they're, but they're dead and they're in need of you. Lord, I pray that we'd be purposeful about connecting with others. Your heart was for the lost. Your heart was people that weren't like you. I pray that our heart would be the same as yours. Lord, your name I pray. Amen. Amen.